podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So how do we feel about Saturday FFS, Guru? It's an adjustment, isn't it? I mean, technically, we should be really good because we're doing it close to game time. But uh, I don't want to put that pressure on us on our first weekend pod. Definitely don't want pressure on our shoulders the way that we performed through much of the season. Um, like the Pinter-esque <laughs> dramatic pause you gave my first question there as well. That was uh, that was dynamic and impressive for a Saturday 9.30 and change. <laughs> well, I think that might be the, uh, the issue here. Just going to take a little bit of time to warm up. No propo, obviously, Saturday morning. He was probably out till... 4, 5 a.m. in some dive bar in Hoxton. Ironically, dancing. He's still out, isn't he? <laughs> he probably still is out. We don't know where he is, quite frankly. It's textbook propos. Uh, but that doesn't matter because we're here. The incense is burning. The panpipe music is is fusing through. I can hear it. It's a little bit of yeah, chimes and wind chiming going on. <laughs> it's the Guru's base camp. And he's going to get you set. For the championship weekend, as far as Daily Fantasy is concerned, we're going to have our show team get into all of that. Look as well at both games, key in on some of the latest news on injuries, of course, significant injuries in both games that we need to keep a very close eye on. But we're going to lead off as we typically do these days on FFS with some news because there's a lot of to and fro happening in the coaching and coordinating sphere. Uh, so a lot we want to get you up to speed on. And we figured this is good a time as any to do that, right? Because our other shows this week, I'm Mike in the vault, Propo, uh, and of course, Crystal Tom uh, over on SBK Edge Rush, looking at the two games in particular. So let's rattle through where we're at in terms of hirings and firings and styling and profiling. Starting with, let's go to the Panthers first, taking Frank Reich. Interesting this for a couple of reasons. Stories coming out that Tepp, David Tepper, the Panthers owner, really wanted Ben Johnson. He was his guy. And Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, very much one of the darlings of the season, of course, given what he's achieved with uh, Jared Goff and co. Was an in-demand kind of cat, but removed himself, you remember, out of contention a couple of weeks back. He said, nope, I'm not interested. I'm staying here. We talked about it a bit on the show. Is that the kind of thing that suggests that there are really exciting things happening in Detroit. Is it, well, he just is playing the game smart and wanting a few more years in his locker before he takes a head coaching gig, or he might just not be interested in the head coaching gig. It's something that we've, we speculated on either way. He was out of contention, which meant it seemed to boil down to Raikou Tepper and Tepper, of course, remember made his dollars as a pretty ruthless. He's basically Bobby Axelrod, right? <laughs> I think we've I think we kind of agreed on that. Uh, a, a ruthless kind of city guy. It was Reich or Steve Wilkes. Now Wilkes did a terrific job stepping into a very messy situation. He went six and six, went 500, had them move them from no hopers to potential playoff contenders right i mean admittedly it was in the nfc south so you and i could have been potential playoff contenders in that division frank b guru but nevertheless wilkes did a really good job has had coaching experience in the past clearly gutted not to get the gig let me read you what his lawyer said and remember and this is what a lot of people are putting out there joining a few dots together because remember that wilkes is one of the plaintiffs in the Brian Flores civil discrimination lawsuit against the NFL and, and various teams, right? Um, 
this is what his attorneys said. This is a quote directly from them. We're shocked and disturbed that after the incredible job Wilkes did as the interim coach, including bringing the team back into playoff contention and garnering the support of the players and fans, that he was passed over for the head coaching position by David Tepper. There is a legitimate race problem in the NFL, and we can assure you that we will have more to say in the coming days. Interesting stuff. What's your take on it, Guru? So Reich feels like a reaction. I know you mentioned Ben Johnson as a potential candidate. I think Tepper was always going to go with experience. I think he was always going to go with offense. Those mm. were the two reactions to having Matt Rule, who was obviously came from the college ranks and yes, you know, had some, uh, they, they trialed a series of offensive coordinators under his tenure, but this is the first time they've ever hired an outright uh, offensive um, head coach in the history of the franchise. Frank Reich was the first ever Carolina QB, albeit only for a few a few ill-fated games in, in the mid-90s. Both things, I think, can be true. Yeah, I think this is the starting point. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the NFL has a race problem with senior executives and with head coaches, and we see too many retreads. Frank Reich has only been out of work for a few months. However, Frank Reich also might be one of the better candidates for this job, being a noted QB whisperer. Okay, mm-hmm. that uh, mantle has taken a bit of a hit over the last few years in Indy, but remember what he did with Philadelphia with both Carson Wentz as a rookie. They're, they're going to be making a rookie, you would imagine, pretty early on in this draft. They might even trade up to number one. I think mm-hmm. that's definitely on the cards. Um, and he's that safer pair of hands when you look at a franchise that really has been an embarrassment since Tepper's come in. And, and remember when he took on the franchise, it was for a a record at the time. You know, he wanted success and he wanted success quickly. And, and that obviously hasn't come his way. So I am concerned, certainly by the NFL hiring policy. We spoke about Jeff Saturday during the course of the regular season. Frank Reich, this is not a conversation that's going away, but Frank Reich might also be one of the better candidates at this point mm. for Carolina. It's a great point you make in terms of the focus on offense and a, a legitimate point. I think that is fair. But as you rightly say, I think both things could be true. And I feel for Steve Wilkes, it, you know, this is true in so many, so many industries and particularly in sports and high, high profile sports like this is definitely true in our neck of the woods in broadcasting journalism to to a lesser degree but still that there is a lot of stuff that happens that doesn't quite stack up and isn't necessarily fair which is the way the game goes now does that mean that you shrug and roll on or does it mean that you need to be looking at how this has changed in the case of a race problem in the nfl as far as senior coaching positions and senior executive positions are concerned, absolutely, there needs to be more done because it is undeniable that that, that that is happening. Now, whether in this particular instance that is what has gone down, we need to see because Frank Reich is an incredibly experienced coach and could well be the right fit, a better fit for where Tepper wants to take his organization than Wilkes. But you got to scratch your head and look at this and think he did everything asked of him, the stability and continuity, the rapport relationship there. Why couldn't Wilkes have got the head coaching gig? A zeitgeisty coordinator, like, I don't know, a Lafleur brother <laughs> being given the offensive coordinator gig. If they're going to go down, the, we're going to draft a quarterback in the top 10, or as you say, move on up. So there are questions that I think legitimately are being asked about this call. Yeah. A couple of things to, to jump on there. First of all, one third of the league are looking for a new OC. 
So going out and hiring a trendy OC pick, and we're going to talk about a couple shortly, was always going to be difficult. And is Carolina the spot that they would want to fall into? A lot of them obviously want to be competing for championships if they are, you know, that lofty new zeitgeist OC out there. The other thing here is I think it's if it were me running a franchise, Wilts has done a tremendous job and has proven that he's a, a potential he should be back in the cycle whether this year or next year for head coaching gigs does that mean it doesn't necessarily mean he's the right person for this gig today despite mm-hmm. the fact that i would agree with that sense of continuity i'm not sure continuity is what this team needs you know that that history to continue isn't nearly as successful as uh, as other teams around the league. So but I would argue that continuity, it's a good point, but I would argue continuity is exactly what most teams need most of the time, unless you've got Herbert Meyer in the saddle. It's, the NFL, it's, it, to me, is a game of, of ceiling, not of not of floor. Mm. You know, continuity might get you another team that's uh, in contention for a weekend NFC South with a 500 record. I, I can't say that Wilkes is going to go and do any more than that. We don't have enough his- history of Wilkes' performance to say anything more frankly. Mm. I think what you're saying here is we want to build a team or build a franchise that we think is going to win a Super Bowl championship. And they obviously feel that Reich, mm. rightly or wrongly, is that character. So I, I I really like what Wilkes did. He's obviously a leader of men. He did some great things to turn around a franchise that was embarrassing in the first five games of last season under rule. To go six and six with this group, the way that they played, even some of the games they lost, they probably should have won mm-hmm. um, to be in it as late as they were. He did a tremendous job. I, I don't want to take that away from him. But I, I think when you're interviewing these candidates at this point in Carolina's cycle, they're not winning a title mm. next season or even the year after probably this is about a three four five year build and presumably they think Reich's the right person for that however as we go back to the point we made it's a worry that that too often white candidates are seen as older white candidates are seen as the only people that can do that mm. yeah yeah okay L- you mentioned we both mentioned Lafleur. Uh, well I think we said Lafleur brother <laughs> Mike Lafleur, the former Jets OC that got shown the door after this season. Well, they the official line, I think, was they mutually agreed to part ways, so make of that what you will. Uh, 25th was where the Jets sat in total offense. Obviously, a stat heavily skewed by the quarterback problems that they had, led by Zach Wilson, drastically underperforming. Um, Flacco, who is a malign character these days, of course, achieved a lot in his heyday, but living out the string and Mike White okay probably a career backup has if we'll have a few days in the sun so a limited uh array of tools for Lafleur to work his magic he went off and it's a really interesting situation now in terms of who's out who's in because of course Nathaniel Hackett speaking of a line he's now the OC with the Jets and that has started the rumor mill of course that Aaron Rodgers is going to the Jets because Hackett's there I mean did we see this I've heard this a few times before. I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be the case, but it should be your take on that. And Lafleur, Mike Lafleur has gone to the Rams. So there is kind of full circle stuff going on here. And uh, of course, with his brother back in the day was there. Mike Lafleur has had time with Shanahan uh, in that organization and as an assistant offensive coach as well. So let's start with, before we look at the Rams side of it and Lafleur to the Rams, let's start with Hackett at the Jets. You buying into this? Hack it to the Jets means Rogers to the Jets, or is it Skip Bayless Central? I wrote down two words when I was thinking about Hack it to the Jets, and they were how and why. <laughs> and, you know, when we talk about retreads on the hiring cycle, yeah, they interviewed a number of candidates. They obviously feel Hackett's the right guy. I, I doubt that's purely predicated on 
the theory that Aaron Rodgers would come to uh, to upstate New York, but maybe that's part of it. Look, Denver were 32nd in points per game. He was the play caller. He had his play calling duties removed from him. He wasn't the play caller in Green Bay for all those years when they mm. were successful. He was the play, the, the play caller with Blake Bortles for a long time, which wasn't that successful. So Hackett is clearly liked around the league and clearly yeah. interviews well. I mean, he got the Denver job. He's now got this, uh, this Jets job. Um, so there's obviously something there, but we haven't seen it an awful lot. They are going to go after a vet in free agency at QB. Salah's come out and said that. So whether it's Rogers or whether it's someone else, they feel that Hackett is the person to communicate and develop that character in this system. I think again, you know, it's a, like most hiring cycles in any industry, there's a reactionary nature to it. You know, they had the young innovator and now they want the steady pair of hands and that's what they see Hackett as. Yeah. I, you know, the Hackett Broncos situation is something we, we've obviously talked about a lot this season and it, one of the points that I will stand by, which I guess connects with why Ben Johnson wanted to stay as an OC, why certain coordinators don't want the step up, is inevitably the pressure, the expansive responsibility, particularly if it starts to go on tilt, the heightened sense, I guess, of self-doubt and just acclimatizing to things that even though you knew were coming down the line, you didn't necessarily, you're not necessarily going to be able to automatically deal with them. Game one, season one, clock management, game management, all of those things that we saw were spectacularly mishandled by Hackett. I don't think we can take a huge amount of from the fact that the Denver offense, when he was calling the shots was poor because of that, because he was such struggled so much as a head coach in his first head coaching gig that the two impacted each other. But it's a great point you make there elsewhere when he hasn't had that responsibility. Jacksonville, I guess glass half full. He made Blake Bortles at times look like an NFL starter. Uh, and of course, it was a it was a decent Jacksonville side overall that made it to the AFC Championship game. But it was a side built on defense, right? Uh, so yeah, a curious decision. What about the Fleur to the Rams? Do you like that? I looked at uh, I looked online at some of the things people were saying about Lafleur after year one in New York, and the New York press, as you know, full of hyperbole, and they were saying, you know, future head coach, superstar, innovator, and it didn't take long for that to wear off, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> He's a bomb, Lafleur's a bomb. <laughs> Get him out, Jimmy, out of the state. We want um, Jimmy G obviously, this comes down to, as you said, this is all about Zach Wilson and his ability or inability to develop him, or was Wilson developable? Um, that's not a word, but let's stick I'll with take it. it. I'll take it. I think it's a great spot for Lafleur for so many of the obvious reasons, right? You know, if we think about the things that define Mike, Mike Lafleur offenses and maybe Lafleur offenses altogether, you know, innovation, pre-stat motion, multiple alignments. You know, that's Sean McVay. Um, so, is he going to help McVay's mojo back? Well, I, I think there's a couple of couple of questions here, right? You know, McVay's come back, and there were questions about whether he would. Do we see his, um, you know, he's he's been the primary play caller for mm. LA. Are they going to give Lafleur play calling duties because they think actually that frees up McVeigh? Do they see Lafleur as a long term successor to McVeigh in similar mold, or is this a you know behind closed doors? Let's let's help you recover after the what's happened to you at the Jets because. Uh, the floors have pictures of McVeigh in uncompromising situations, and um, <laughs> this is the right, this is the way to pay off the debt. I don't know, but I, you know, I think everyone around the league is going to look at that and say that's hand in a glove in terms of mm. offensive coordinator and system. 
Okay, one more for you. Ryan Nielsen, new defensive coordinator for the Falcons. He's been at the Saints, of course, uh, in that interesting spot of co-defensive coordinator, which you don't see a huge amount in the NFL, of course. He had six years with New Orleans. Uh, and again, much like um, the Jets needing a bit of a spark to their offense, you can flip that with the Falcons and their D, right? In the bottom five, six in terms of total yards allowed. Absolutely no edge at all. I mean, literally no no um, pass rush of any kind. 21 sacks ranked them 31st in in the league. So it seems to be part of a whole scale reboot as far as the defensive side of the ball is concerned. I mean, I thought Arthur Smith might, well, he could have been on the hot seat, might well have been on the hot seat. I thought he was lucky to keep his job. I'm glad he did for the reasons I, I said before. I really feel there is a an increasing tendency to jettison quickly in the NFL, which you never used to see before. And it typically pays off if you keep the faith. I mean, the Lions are a great example. They could have easily pushed the button on Campbell halfway through the season, right? And didn't. And and a lot of people were saying, well, that's it. We love Dan Campbell. But they, and looking at hard knocks and looking at some of the, Aaron Glenn and some of the coordinators he had around him saying, they're, they're great guys. They were great players, but they're not sophisticated enough to be coaches. And, you know, they had the last laugh near enough. So I'm glad they kept the faith with him. But so as often as the way when a head coach is in a fragile position, it's a coordinator that is the fall guy. And that was the case here, of course. So, yeah. What do you make of this? Cool. Nielsen. Right bit. What do you what do you think he'll be trying to bring in personnel wise? Because apparently he, that's another part of the gig. He's going to get a fair say in that. I don't think Smith was ever in trouble. I think they had a top five running game in the league you know he took players I mean everyone expected Atlanta to be awful and they were in contention for the South again it was the South until relatively late on I think Nielsen's interesting hire because you know Dennis Allen was the defensive coordinator in New Orleans and he got the head coaching gig so it's very difficult to dis- discern you know what Nielsen did mm. in his staff versus what uh, Dennis Allen was in charge of obviously for a very long time we know that the defensive front that Nielsen was looking after was very effective for all the time that he was there. I think he's been there six seasons, whatever it was. Um, They've rushed the pass effectively. They've been very hard to run on. How much of that was scheme? How much of that was talent? Hard to pick out. I think uh, with Atlanta, you know, they had Dean Pease there before who retired, who's been a defensive coordinator in this league for 20 years and a defensive coordinator in football for 50. Um, You know, one of those most impressive CVs on the defensive side of the football um, that we've seen in the league. So, you know, there's, big boots to fill but I think this is a team on the rise uh, in terms of the talent they have there in terms of their draft position in terms of what they're building there on the O-line there's a certain way they want to play we've seen that be successful under Smith I wouldn't be surprised if they took a step forward next season as long as they can keep uh, the limited skill position players they have healthy what did you make of Ritter in the small sample size we saw there's a lot I liked about Ritter, if I'm honest. You know, I think he was one of the more mature candidates coming out in terms of where his football was at. He played four seasons at Cincinnati, started mm-hmm. every game, you know, went toe-to-toe with some of the big teams there in, in the latter years of his stewardship. Um, he also didn't turn the ball over, which I think is enormous, you know, for any rookie QB. You know, we've spoken about that with Purdy so much over the last few weeks. You don't have to go out and win games as a as a rookie necessarily, but you are being charged not to lose them. Mm. Um, enough positives there for me to think that he'll be the starter next season unless they get uh, unless they fall in love with a quarterback in the pre-draft process or someone drops to them I think Ridder will be the guy I'm not necessarily sure his ceiling is top 10 in the league but I think he's serviceable 
And I think in their development for now, particularly because they want to run so much and Ridder can can manage that offense effectively, uh, I would think he's a starter. Okay, one other thing in terms of coaching changes, we knew, of course, that Bill O'Brien was heading to Foxborough, which means what's going to happen to Patricia and, and Joe Judge, the latter being on the offensive coordinator, uh, offensive uh, coaching staff last season as the quarterbacks coach, I think was his official title, but nobody knows what the hell quite was going on there. Patricia was the offensive coordinator. Judge is going to return, but in a different role, apparently. Patricia, mm, we don't know. So it has all changed there. This coincides, I think, with another wave of criticism being fired towards Belichick reports that uh, coming out that the Patriots didn't have enough plays last season. Some of the some of the players were con- complaining that there just weren't enough plays in the playbook, which is extraordinary to hear. And the same narrative getting pinged around nepotism. He's got his kids on the coaching staff. He's gone back to his old guys. And I heard somebody say it might have even been Simmons, one of the guests on Simmons' show, say, "Oh, Belichick never would have done that in the past. That kind of thing he never would have done." I'm I'm not so sure. I think Belichick's always been about his guys around it. It's always been about that. Now, now, as we're at this stage of his career and misstep, obviously, last season, but I don't think it was a curious decision in the respect of it's one of his longstanding lieutenants, more that it was a guy who never had, hadn't had any coordinating, offensive coordinating experience. That was the more curious thing. Uh, so Joe Judge sticking around, Patricia... I can't imagine there'll be a big market for him. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. A lot of change in, in New England, I think, is what we're saying. Right, let's crack on with the championship game to start with injuries, Guru, because they, of course, are dominating the pre-game focus, particularly in the Kansas City-Cincinnati game, particularly with Patrick Mahomes. We've got into this quite a lot on SBK Edge Rush, the line flip-flopping, as and when we're seeing different reports about Mahomes' health coming out. Uh Mahomes doing cartwheels and training and all the stuff that the the uh the Chiefs are spinning. It is fascinating, isn't it? That they can't be cheating that. He has been a full participant in practice. This is a serious injury, unless it was never a high ankle sprain. There's all kinds of trickery going on. And actually, the day after they were like, okay, yeah, you took you tw- you turned your ankle, but it's not as serious as they thought, but they've kept with that ruse. That's a better check-in kind of maneuver. So they might be playing with with the Bengals heads. I think weighing it all up, one of the interesting things that I've landed on with this is the advantage in many ways, I think this gives, providing he's he's able to do a fair amount of stuff, even if his scrambling, his running is limited, extending the play is it limited, providing he's still 65, 70% Mahomes, Forcing Andy Reid to rethink the playbook and the game plan, I think gives the Chiefs an interesting edge that not enough people are emphasizing because Andy Reid is one of the great innovators in the game. And if he's back to the wall, we've I've got to change things up now. I think that could actually play, given the way the last three or four games have gone between these two and how Anna Rimmer's had the upper hand, I think that might be advantage Andy Reid. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I'd, I'd certainly given some pause to think about what we'd seen from Lou Anarumo and his defense over the last two or three occasions they faced each other and what that might mean for this game if Mahomes doesn't pose any threat of mobility. So yeah. 
do we see more shotgun because they don't want him having to move at pace from the line, which means, you know, less Pacheco, more McKinnon. Um, you know, you can see the Bengals playing eight deep like they did, you know, um, uh, last season. But they mixed that up there, don't they? They did that last season, they, but this season they didn't at all. They're, so they were mixing yeah. it, but you have to, I guess, with Mahomes. But, but yeah, they, but they guess mixed that's, that That's the question. If Mahomes can't move, you know, when, when I say can't move, like if Mahomes can't sprint Literally. to the edge <laughs> and isn't, yeah, can't physically move. Um, you don't need the spy. Maybe yeah. they mix up more rush to try. I mean, one thing with the Jags that they didn't do is they didn't rush more than four, I don't think at all, in the second half against the Chiefs. And that felt like a mistake because you've got an ailing Mahomes who was unable to protect himself. And and at the very least, you mix it up to put him under some pressure. I think we'll see that. I think that sometimes during the course of the game, the Bengals will go after Mahomes. But I think in general, they might play deeper and that's mm. going to change the look and feel of this game definitely mm. um less stretch plays less play action you know it's it's a really interesting one and I'll, I'll be honest like we you know we'll get into it with the show team but mm. i'm not sure exactly how this game plays out we just have to assume that mahomes has the high ankle sprain mm. that he's going to be less mobile he's going to be less comfortable step it, it's you know by all accounts i mean propo mentioned he's got his own, he's got his own medical history hasn't he um, with these right. kind of issues, very much. Yeah, so go from the expert, um, the expert performer that is Propo, the expert mm. player. Um, there's going to be some discomfort, but more than anything, it will just limit what he's able to do. Mm. Okay, well, like you say, when we get into the show team, and I'm going to rattle through my team as well this week with you to get your grade card on that guru. We will uh, look at the game and the Love matchups it. in a bit Love more it. detail. Um, other injuries in the wider NFL outside of the championship games to talk about: Tony Pollard, who's Absence, I think, for the uh, for much of the uh, divisional round game, I think conceivably cost the Cowboys. I still maintain if Pollard had stayed in that game, I think the Cowboys might have won it. How bad's the injury? What are we looking at? During the game, they called this a high ankle sprain, uh, and mm. actually, it turned out to be a fractured fibula, so he broke his leg. Um, but it's one of those uh, injuries that he should return for relatively quickly. He's had surgery. Uh, he should be there by training camp, by all accounts. So not expecting a great drop-off. Obviously, what this could impact is contract negotiations. He's a, I think he's a restricted free agent, unrestricted mm-hmm. free agent. I'll have to check that. But uh, he obviously is is the guy that, that you'd assume they'd be going with um, as the leader of the backfield next season. You know, Zeke really struggled down the stretch. Um, they also have Malik Davis there in the wings. If Pollard doesn't re-sign, maybe they go and look at free agency. Zeke said that he could come back on a on a smaller deal, but this is all about is Pollard ready to go for training camp and therefore do the to the Cowboys invest. What this might do is limit the market outside of the Cowboys who don't have any visibility of that injury. I'd like the Cowboys to sign Saquon. <laughs> I just want an all-star backfield where they blow 60% of their cap on, on their backfield. Yeah, three three backs, you reckon? Pollard, Zeke, and Saquon? Uh, maybe maybe four. I think maybe draft okay. one as well. Yeah, get a full back in there. <laughs> just every down with four backs <laughs> on the field. That's my... Yeah, ask Mike that question. Ask Mike who in uh, college football history has ever got oh, a four-back set. Because he's going to know. He'll know. He will know. In 1924, Purdue did it with a six-back set, yeah. one lineman, seven running backs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Josh Allen, what's the status on... Because he, yeah, seemed injured for... Just didn't seem himself, did he, for the last quarter of the season what is coming out in terms of Allen and his health? 
Yeah, you hear this when players uh, flame out the playoffs, all of a sudden all the injuries come to light and what it transpires. And we, we did talk about this during the course of the season. He had a UCL injury, this ligament that's in the base of your elbow. Yeah. Uh, he basically played the second half of the season with that injury. He was in mm-hmm. pain, he said, really up until the end of the season. It affected his throwing motion until the final couple of weeks. Let's assume he wasn't 100%. Uh, he's going to rest it. There's no surgery. Shouldn't really be a long-term issue for Alan. But I think... Looking at um, you know his performance against Burrow, there's a lot of people who are down on him and and moving him into a, a lower tier of their QB ranks versus the Mahomes and the Burrow. I think that's unfair and very narrow to do mm. that based on a couple of games uh, when he's been injured, considering everything the Bills went through in the second half of the season. But if you play fantasy and you have let's say Joe Burrow and you're in a league that rewards rushing scores more than passing scores, which is most fantasy leagues, mm-hmm. I'd definitely be looking at trying to get Allen right now. So, yeah, by uh, by low, I think, is what we might be saying with Alan going into next season. All right. Looking back at last week at our performance in the NC Show Listener Leagues over on DraftKings. Shout out DraftKings, FFS sponsors. And, of course, we have a Listener League. You can hit the link in the show notes over on our Twitter feed. We'll push that out as well. If you want to get a team in this weekend, there's a free-to-enter contest every week, a $5 contest as well with the league, cash prizes to win, and lots of other contests you can enter across the DraftKings universe. I've put my team into a few this week, Guru, into the big wide world, so uh, hopefully we're going to be able to raise a bit more money for charity. Most of the money that we've raised has either come from the Guru, well, Propo has got his stash that I'm hoping um, we've got our mitts on because that needs to go into the charity pot as well. But the majority of the money that we've made, frankly, has been from me dropping uh, natisms, uh, throughout the course of the season, every time I do that, $5 goes into the charity uh, pot. So things like, let's get out of Dodge. There you go. There's another five bucks. Propose keeping score of that uh, into four figures now <laughs> and counting. So I better I better look at adding to that with my team, which we'll get into. And your team, the Guru, obviously picks a show team every week. Uh, you can go up against both of us in our listener league. So go and have a bit of fun with that. We'll get into the tactics of how you do that when you've got such a limited field now, of course, with just four teams to pick from. Last week, we did pretty well. You did pretty well. Fifth in the pay, sixth in the free. Does that mean we were in the money for both? It did, yeah. Multiple weeks now in a row uh, in the money, which is good. Uh, We're we're topping out of fifth place a bit too often for my liking. Let's hope Mm. we can... Improve on that this week, but we had uh, we had Kelsey last week, who was the real difference maker, along with Lamb, Kirk, and Richie James, who turned out to be a good pick in the uh, Giants' loss. To the yeah, game. love that. Good shout. So good result for you, Guru. Congratulations. Good result for Norenu, won our free league, and Rory, who won our payday. Rory, obviously a serious player because his name crops up a fair bit. I've noticed joining the dots there as well. Shout out to both of you. Who were the standout players for them that got them over the line? Kelsey in both teams, as mm-hmm. you'd expect. Um, got uh, Richie James and Zay Jones for Rory. I think Zay was a good pick last week. We spoke about him, Richie, obviously. And, and Goddard, I think I missed that. I wasn't thinking about the Eagles being quite as effective over the middle, but they were. And then uh, for Noraino, mm-hmm. if I'm saying that correctly, Kelsey Lamb and Kenny Gamewell, who I... Uh, oh, nice. We'll talk, we'll talk more about shortly, but was a good pick based on the fact that if you thought... If you looked at the game script and you thought Eagles were going to win that handily, as they did, then all of a sudden you move away from Miles Sanders and you bring in the other backs, and, and that's where game will thrive late in that game. Okay, well, let's get into your team because you've got him in your this week's show team. Before we look at the detail, what changes in terms of strategy when you've got such a limited pool of players to pick from? Because same budget, same challenges in terms of you got to make them count or... In my case, 
spend all the money and then pick whoever you could afford for defense. <laughs> what is your strategy? Uh, if or if any, does it does it change anything outside of the obvious that you've only got you've got less players to choose from, or are you thinking about other factors when you're putting your team together? There's a lot more emphasis on the over-under. And mm. if you think there's going to be one game that's a high-scoring affair, then you just hone in on that game versus the other. Whereas traditionally, obviously, during the course of the regular season, where you've got far more games to pick from, there's some obvious blow-up spots that you might not see. You know, remember, most of the time, these are high-end defences, and we've got, what, two of the best, if not three of the best defences in the league in uh, championship this championship weekend. So I think it's it's about building around one game if you have that inkling or if, if Vegas suggests that that's where the point's going to be. Okay, that figures then, because out of your picks, you have, well, all but three are from the Kansas City-Cincinnati game. So yeah, unsurprisingly, you feel that it's going to be the highest scoring game. I think we all do. Incidentally, over on SPK Edrush Extra, which we're dropping on our pod feed at the moment as a little bonus episode for you during the week. Uh, Crystal Tom and I getting into more angles for both of the games, additional prop bets, uh, and something that I don't think we particularly talked about over on SBK Edge Rush, which was how much Crystal Tom, shot that he is, loves the over in that game. So Cincinnati, Kansas City, the over, we figure it's going to be a high-scoring affair, which means you have stacked up in that respect. And speaking of stack, you've gone for Burrow and Chase, as you call it back, receiver stack, uh, which has cost you in the region of, well, four, about 14.5K for both of those together. Yeah, we've added Tyler Boyd in there as well. So we've got the triple, ah, yeah. triple got the stack. Tri- triple stack. Joe Cool, 6,800. The Chiefs are near the base of the league when it comes to uh, QB performances in fantasy. No surprise, teams have to play catch up. Uh, but I think Burrow, based on what we've seen so far, from him as a playoff performer, him over the course of the last, you know, 10 weeks in the league, you know, he's he's on an absolute tear at the moment. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him carve up the Chiefs. Um, he has all the weapons, if not the line. What we've just seen from him, he, he speeds up his time of throw. He doesn't let it get to him. His ability to manoeuvre in the pocket is Brady-esque. You know, I don't like the comparisons with Brady. I think they're very different players in many respects. But one thing he does, he feels the pressure extremely well. Um, the Chiefs mm. also, while they get pressure, uh, aren't, you know, they are the Eagles and they aren't the 49ers. So, you know, that's a that may be a playoff, uh, sorry, a Super Bowl consideration. But I think Burrow can can have his way with the Chiefs D as he has done the last few times he's played them. Um, mm. He's also managed to score 20-plus fantasy points in the la- in four of his last five games, despite only throwing for more than 242 yards once. He doesn't need to have a 300-yard, 400-yard day to hit big points because he's so effective in the red zone and because he's shown some uh he's been pretty limber actually over the last few weeks getting sort of in the in the 30 yards on the ground kind of range so at 6800 i think he's a he's a must have this week james let me just ask you on it's, it's strange calling it james i really do uh that's it's i feel like i'm, I'm in been, trouble what have i done exactly i know i'm in trouble <laughs> with my wife whether i suddenly hear gnats from the other room i'm in deep shit um the bengals line of course one of the big stories in the offseason. They might be strengthened this weekend. Keep an eye. They could have a couple of the starters returning, but they held up really well, obviously, against the Bills. What do you think about Spags and what he might dial up? Jones, of course, who brilliant player that he is, infamously doesn't have a playoff sack. You've Frank Clark mixing it up as well. Is that an area that maybe hasn't, because of how well they handled the Bills and the perception, I guess, perhaps that even... Without Von Miller, the Bills pose more of a threat in that respect. Do you think this could be an area that's un- being underestimated a little bit in going into this game that actually 
they might be able to put a lot of and the other thing of course we've talked about this fast release the speed of release of borrow this season do you feel that spags and co could if they can cause some damage early on that could really really disrupt this rhythm because one of the i think the key aspects of the bills game was just how devastating they were in the first couple of drives they would just they'd won the game within the first quarter it felt like the bills never you know they were just blown away if the chiefs can stop this freight train and actually start getting to burrow causing him problems i i just wonder oh do you think they can do that i think spags can dial up something that could do a bit of damage it's a really good point i think that's Definitely the approach they'll take is to try and get pressure early and disrupt the offense. You know, in every QB, irrespective of how effective they are against the rush, struggles against interior pressure. Mm. And that, when you have the likes of Chris Jones, is is probably what they'll try and do and overload in the center. Alex Kappa, the right guard, isn't going to play. Jonah Williams, left tackle, isn't going to play. Ted Karras, obviously, isn't 100%. Um or doesn't seem to be 100%. So, yeah, yeah. Look, I think that's definitely the right way to approach it rather than waiting for Burrow to get in his rhythm and then throwing pressure at him through more exotic blitzing schemes later in the game. I think that's what they should do. Um, and, and, you know, you're right. I think that could have an impact. I'm just not sure it's going to have as much of an impact as they would need. Okay. Elsewhere, you've gone... Well, you you mentioned Kenny Gainwell. He's in there. Um, McKinnon as well, who you like always, uh, often are, should say, is a red zone threat in particular, right? He often gets a look there. Yeah, two. I'm not spending high on backs this week because I just don't think that's where the games are going to be won. McCaffrey isn't 100%. I don't think Joe Mixon repeats what he did last week. Um, Gamewell as the second back, obviously behind Sanders in Philadelphia, is cheaper at 4,800. We know you can't run on San Francisco. So do they turn to the pass catching back? That's Gamewell. Uh, San Francisco's allowed the fourth most catches to running backs over the course of this season. Can Hurts run effectively? We saw a few plays last week but not as many as we would have expected to see during the course of the regular season. Obviously, he's they, got that shoulder injury. Just on that, they do struggle on the design quarterback run, don't they? San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and and it's a question of how much they go to that. Uh, how concerned are they that if Hurts puts himself in those situations, then he might not be able to play the full game? You know, mm. do they need to put him in that situation? Game, the other side of this, obviously, with game well, is if Philly blows out San Francisco, and I'm not taking that off the table either, then game will get a lot of third and fourth quarter touches. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, eat up the clock. Okay, and then you mentioned Jamar Chase. Yeah, I'll touch AJ- on McKinnon. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes, of course, McKinnon. McKinnon, we picked him last week, didn't work out. He's 5,400, so he's a far more palatable price. I think he was 6,000 last week. My thought here is I expect the Chiefs to play a lot of shotgun to protect Mahomes, put him in a position to succeed where he doesn't have to scamper too much. McKinnon is, as we've seen throughout these playoffs and in previous years, a star in pass pro. He's the person you'd want alongside him. He's also the pass catching back. So if you're in shotgun all the time and you're not doing a lot of play action, you don't need Pacheco nearly as much. That's been my concern there. Um, He had a season high 65% of snaps last week in the game where obviously Mahomes was hurt. He had 11 carries in that game, not very effectively, but expect to also be in there on draw plays. Uh, And if the Bengals go with this drop eight mentality, which I think they might, I think we've seen that not just in the Chiefs games for the Bengals, but other games during the season against high-end QBs where they've just been really, they've just been in almost like a protect defense and ask the QB to beat them um, like an Allen and so on. And it hasn't really worked out. So that's where McKinnon could benefit from dump off. So I I like Jeremy McKinnon actually more this week, even at a lower price point than last week. Okay. Uh, AJ Brown, we've we've got into this excuse me this angle on the show this week. The 
particular edge the Eagles have in terms of downfield threat and passes of 20 yards or more, 40 yards or more. They're in the top two in the NFL for both of those categories. And we expect that's going to be part of the MO that they dial up, Sirianni and Co. dial up against the 49ers, taking some deep shots. So it makes a huge amount of sense that you're going to have one of the two, Devontae Smith or or AJ, and you've gone with AJ at 7,000. Yeah, I built I built this team around three players that I thought were must-haves. One is Jamar, Chiefs struggle against receiver. We spoke about Burrow. He's a yak monster, which is where the Chiefs really struggle. I think they're bottom 10 in yards after the catch allowed. He's had 28 red zone targets this year. Higgins has only had four. Chase has played four less games. So I had to have Chase. AJ Brown, we've seen the Niners struggle against physical receivers over the last few weeks. Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf. Brown hasn't been targeted all that much and has been asking for more of the ball. That usually means he gets it. Uh, he's Jalen Hurts' best pal. Let's remember that as well. You mentioned the downfield threat where the, the Niners weirdly have given up all these big plays during the course of the season. And also you can't really target San Francisco over the middle. You talked about that on, on edge rush. So does this take out a Goddard this week? Does it limit what they do against that linebacking core? And do they look and go after these cornerbacks that may struggle against the more physical guy? That's AJ Brown. So I really like AJ at 7,000. Okay, Kadarius Tony, I love this pick at 3-7 as well. I think there is going to be one of this cast of supporting characters that it has uh, a, a big game for Kansas City if they're going to win or at least keep it tight. And I think Kadarius Tony feels like he is picking up pace at the right time. Tony's stats last week were wild. He had 20 snaps, but he had eight touches in those 20 snaps. When he's on the field, they go to him and... I would think it's more this week because if Mahomes can't move, they need more gadget. Mm-hmm. And he's someone that you can drop the ball off, who is a yak machine, who can make defenders miss in the open field. So I think he has more of a, a game. And at 3,700, he was just a bit too cheap Steel. to puzzle. And, and it, it underlines the argument I was putting forward earlier on this. And I, one of the edge rushes I was talking about at the whole, Reed is going to go into his deep dive. Speaking of Carlson diving back into the 1920s Purdue playbook. I mean, that's, I think, I think Reed might be doing that. Reed might be looking back at his scrapbook of 1951 high school plays. And don't be surprised if Kadarius Tony is the beneficiary of uh, some of the magic. He, he tries to weave with the, the limitations to Mahomes. Kelsey, Love this pick as well. Again, it's a point. I think I made it on extra with Crystal Tom. The how prolific Kelsey, of course, was against the Jags, but likely to be again. I mean, typically is anyway, but likely to be even more so, given the problems that Mahomes has, the comfort blanket, the um, the cut through he is going to be able to generate. I, I mean, I I think I like the over seven and a half receptions was one of my prop bets over on SBK Edge Rush. And you obviously fancy he's going to get a lot of looks and, and certainly as usual red zone looks as well. Yeah, I love that over seven and a half. He's expensive, he's 7,800, but he's the third player that I said I had to have in this team and to build around. Again, if the Bengals go into this shell he just lives in the zone, lots of short passes. The challenge for Mahomes is going to be going downfield with if he has that high ankle sprain, hard to mm-hmm. step into those deep downfield throws. He had 17 targets last week. And I think at this point in the playoffs, championship week, you start you ask the question, who else are you going to go to if you have to have a play? And that, that's Travis Kelsey. And defense, you've got Eagles. Um, did you run out of money and have to pick them, or is there a little bit more to them? Than that? So, to, yeah, <laughs> a flex quickly is Tyler Boyd, 3,800. If it's a shootout, he's going to get opportunities. In the games where Cincinnati have scored more than 30 this season, he's had six and a half targets in those games. And the last three matchups, I think, for KC against the slot, Christian Kirk, 
had seven receptions, Renfro seven receptions, Judy seven receptions. So I like Tyler Boyd at three thousand eight hundred. And then the Eagles, I, I'll be honest, I can see how San Francisco could be the kryptonite to Philadelphia, the mm. way that they're built, and if they manage to shut down the RPO game, uh, even if Hertz is is one hundred percent, you know, then then obviously that really limits what the Eagles can do. But I feel like this is the game Purdy unravels. I feel that Philadelphia is that much healthier after their bye. They prove that against the Giants. And let's go back to this, to what they were, which is, you know, a juggernaut during mm. the course of the season. So I, I like the Eagles D at 2,800 to cause turnovers, uh, which is obviously where the points come from on DST. Love that. That is the show team that is locked and loaded in the vault, in the ether. We'll push it out on our social channels as well as a little recap for you. Very quickly, grade my team before we get out of Dodge, another $5 in the charity pot. So I've gone for the Eagles, D. I've gone for the Eagles as my Drew Lock of the Week as well. <laughs> that might, uh, I'm sure, move the market for a lot of people to get on the 49ers. Two minus two and a half is actually my Drew Lock of the Week because I really like him in, in this spot, obviously. I, I think there are uh, a number of key areas that they're going to have the edge. I do agree with you and indeed... Crystal Tom and Propo that it's going to be the lowest scoring game out of the two. I've gone with Jalen Hurts, nevertheless, as my quarterback, 7-2. I like the value there. And I like the fact that I think he's going to run. I think he's going to be able to make, uh, be prolific with the run, as we touched on a, a little bit earlier, that is. And maybe I overstated it saying it's a floor in this 49ers defense, a relative floor in the number one defense in the NFL is that. But I think that's going to be big. And I think he's it's going to be a combination of him using his legs, going downfield, equals a big time return if they can pull that off. I've got Eli Mitchell because of the McCaffrey injury to an extent, but Mitchell's carrying a knock as well, right? So I know he was on your injury note. So before, before I, might, I might edit the gene before tomorrow, but yeah, tell me more. I'd keep an eye on him. He didn't practice on Friday. That's never a good sign. It doesn't mean he won't okay. play, yeah. but concerns. And obviously, again, if you, it depends what you think this game script's going to be. If you think the, the Niners get out to a lead, then they mix up Mitchell much more with McCaffrey obviously he's just the he's the in between the tackles RB on the roster if they're behind then I'm not sure we see that much of him particularly with injury but red zone wise potentially could right so yeah so okay pick your poison that four nine um very worried now about my Pacheco pick based on what you said a bit earlier but I love him so much I don't care he's explosive to watch yeah and there's another there's another angle there with Pacheco which is that they might just say with Mahomes ailing that they're going to yeah. run the ball that much more particularly in the red zone and that, that's where Pacheco comes in yeah there you go. that's what I'm banking on so again I'm, I'm kind of going boom or bust guru that's my that's my focus for this week uh, and on that note T Higgins I love the fact I've tried to work out every crew that's covered the Bengals broadcast in prime time or at least you know a televised game that i've seen this season has gone with i mean t higgins would be a number one in any other offense in the, in the nfl it's my favorite t higgins line and it's true and so at five four yeah i think i'm backing on spags trying to take chase out higgins fills his boots yeah he's so cheap five four exactly i i, I, I figured the question for Higgins is with the line struggling, what they've proven with Chase is that they can get him involved around the line of scrimmage and then for him to run with the ball. That, that's not Higgins' game. So they need some of these plays to mature to be able to go deeper to Higgins down the field for him to have a massive game. But he, again, if you think this is a high scoring one, he's going to have he's gonna have his chances. I've gone Tony, Kelsey and Brown as well. Um much like you, so that fills me with a bit more confidence. And then the other player I've gone for is Debo, 5'7". 
on the basis that McCaffrey and Eli Mitchell mm, carrying various knocks. Will we see Debo a little bit more out of the backfield? Shanahan mixing it up and look, just the, the big play threat that he is for five, seven. I thought it was value. Another upside pick um, given I'd splashed a huge amount of cash on Kelsey and Brown and Hurst. <laughs> so what do you think of Debo? Yeah, I, like, I like Debo. I like Debo this week. Again, I think with the Eagles, you attack them. Avante Maddox is playing. Yes. So true. That plays into this in, in terms of Samuel potentially coming out of the slot. But I think you get to the Eagles over the middle of the field. We saw that last week with Richie James. So I like Debo. Yeah, 5,700. My only, my only issue with Debo, I had him actually in, in a team before this team when I was still working mm-hmm. it out, was game script. Do I think the Eagle? Do I think the Niners will score enough points or be as effective enough on offense for Debo to have a big week? But again, I, I can easily prove wrong there. You know what I love about uh, us, Guru, the difference between us, I should say. I picked my team in 24 seconds. You had multiple iterations, probably 11, spent hours and hours and hours pouring over it. So let's see who goes better. <laughs> but I had a simple theme. <laughs> I'm a simple kind of guy. I had a simple theme. And hopefully that will come up. I hope it comes off. So, so put more money science in versus box. religion. That's the game this week, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, that's exactly it. Brilliant stuff. It is always a pleasure catching up with you, man. Enjoy the championship weekend. Uh, and everybody out there, enjoy it as well. Disappointing, I'm not going to be on radio duty this weekend because I'm on TV duty. I've got uh, the BBL Cup final in uh, Birmingham. Make sure you tune in uh, for that. It's a big double header. Lions riders in uh, in both games actually the WBBL and the BBL. Um, it's going to be ten thousand British basketball fans in attendance. Going to be a biggie. Mike Tuck, Drew Laskin, Kieran Achara, Ant and the crew. And Dan, of course, shout out uh, all there. Siobhan Pryor too. All the crew down there. So that's going to be a big day of British basketball. And I can't wait for that. And it's disappointing it means I can't broadcast the talk sport game, but it does mean that I will listen to the first game on the radio driving back. I love listening to it on the radio, particularly when it's not me on it <laughs> on the radio. And then I will uh, settle back in for the late night game uh, with a cold one when I get back home to HQ. So I will be all set and ready on Monday morning with Iron Mike to look back at how the championship games went down. We're going to be recording that Monday morning. It will be released by lunchtime. And we've got a lot more coming your way as we roll towards the Super Bowl. Guru, look after yourself, bud. Check in next week. Yeah, great tour. Thanks for that. Take care, mate. Podcast Network.